When we look around in the universe, when we realize what kind of cataclysmic forces are out there, in what kind of a fragile state our solar system exists, then it becomes quite interesting to investigate how we as human beings deal with that uncertainty. In our daily minds, we are not usually afraid or aware of these forces. Scientists tell us that we, on this planet, with this solar system, hurl through space at incredibly large speed, so fast we can't even imagine. Yet here on the Earth, now that we are sitting Zazen, it seems like a fairly secure and firm place. Gravity holds us to the ground and the atmosphere of the planet protects us from just being blown off this ball of molten rock. Science really has opened the mind and the eyes of a human being and the human species in a very different way. And that revolution of the approach to how we see life has shaped a lot of the way that we live nowadays in this 21st century. There used to be a much closer connection between the human being and that what we call the surroundings. It was hard work at first to hunt and not be the prey. It was hard work to develop to a state where tools came into existence. Hard work to till the ground and to develop agriculture, growing food, Sometimes we even forget when we eat something that was grown on this earth, how come that we know it is edible? What about all the things that are not edible? They look fantastic, but are poisonous fruit. Someone at some time must have eaten it and paid the price for all of us. So we learn through that what affected others. And that it's a very important principle in this development that we are looking at. Through time, society formed more and more sophisticated systems, classes, clergy, laymen, noblemen. All kinds of distinctions in society came to be manifest. And with the advent of a more scientific approach, clearly we should have learned 
that the difference between us human beings in terms of the genome, of the genes, the DNA that makes up the code of the human organism between various races is minimal. Apparently, we have more in common with our closest animal ancestor than we have differences between the various races of human beings. Shouldn't we have learned by now that this is the manifestation of equality that the Buddha spoke about? Everything being distinct, but yet equal. The inherent Buddha nature in all beings includes humans as well. Science also started studying not just the hard sciences, natural science, but also social science, the science that goes with religion. In one of those studies, we can also learn that it is a pattern of the human cultural development that the leading culture appropriates ideas of the preceding culture and makes them legitimate through appropriating them. When I, as a Buddhist practitioner, look at what is written about meditation nowadays, then I find a vast and ever-growing collection of scientific papers on meditation, not only in the field of theology, philosophy, social sciences, but also in the field of healthcare. Of course, we all know that if you clear your mind and you come to understand what this human existence is about, you will be less tense. Your stress levels will be different. And you might be healthier, live longer, feel more whole. There's no question about that. Yet it seems to be that this appropriation of meditation through the scientific culture is yet another manifestation of the leading culture, sometimes uprooting such practices as meditation from the roots they came from. Going into the direction of science is a wonderful thing as long as we know what the limitations of science are. Science is always descriptive. That is because it needs to rely on verifiable data. It needs to rely on distinctions, on categories, on quantification in order to come with an abstraction of the observations. Out of there, axiomatic rules can be formulated that have shown over time to be natural laws. Gravity is one of those. It is fairly safe to assume that if you hold an object up into the air and you let it drop, it will drop to the ground. 
when it comes to meditation, to zazen, to the inquiry into what it means to be a human being, when it comes to that, though, measurements, categorization, repeatable quantification are not necessarily helpful. We can measure the brain waves of meditators and come up with all kinds of theories. I can even imagine that at some point some medication or some device will be created that will stimulate the brain in a pattern that resembles the recorded patterns of meditating monks, meditating expert meditators. It will be quite interesting to see that. However, this seems to be the same approach from the outside descriptive way, trying to get to a core that is beyond description. We cannot lose that point of view for this investigation that we undertake here as Zen practitioners. Zen is not utilitarian and certainly not scientific. Well, you can experiment. And through this experimentation in this lab that we call the Zendo, where the safety guards are there, represented by a structure in which we practice, represented by experienced practitioners who can help us through challenges that might occur. Experimentation is very important, but it's not to come up with quantification, explanation. Often we might find the question, what is Zen about? And as a Zen practitioner, what would you say? Would you say the same thing that we hear about what is meditation about? Stress reduction, be happier, have a clearer mind and feel better, perform better? Well, probably not. The more we engage in this practice, the more we learn that it is not about anything. It is just this. And this cannot be described. A description is after the fact. The ultimate fact, and of course science always deals with facts, the ultimate fact of this eludes description and thus science. Yeah, once in a discussion in a place here in this area, uh, a movie was shown a Buddhist movie in a Dharma film series and in the discussion afterwards it was quite interesting to see that somebody who is uh, actually regarded to be a teacher started to say that well of course the Buddha was a proto-scientist a proto-scientist And that is only half true. I would agree with it that he was a proto-scientist in the sense 
that he engaged, as we do, in research, in empirical research, research of the first kind where we have first-hand experience. But the orientation of what that research yields is quite different between the understanding of Western science and what spiritual practice is about. We are not having any goals of coming up with explanations, with descriptions what this is about. Because we know that they are not it. In the same way, the formula that describes gravity is just a description, a mathematical model that describes and allows us to abstractly handle calculations, but it is not gravity itself. So there are similarities, and Zen practice, especially Rinzai Zen practice with a specific koan curriculum, challenges us to go beyond that descriptive layer of the human culture in which we live. Language is what made society possible. Language is what made science possible. And so we have to work with language as well when we investigate what it is to be a human being. When we sit a lot of zazen and we leave the realm of language and of two-dimensional thinking of this and that, we become witness to the fact of this. Shivayama Zenke, who was the master at Nanzenji in Kyoto, but also was in the Myoshinji tradition, and I think he also taught at the Hanazono University. He called that witnessing of this the ultimate subjectivity, first-hand experience of how, what, and beyond what this is, is what Zen practice makes the core of its investigation. And once we have witnessed, and once we know what the path is to that fact, then we can return into the world of two-dimensional words, of the explanation, and talk about it in words. And as you see when you read about Zen and the traditional scriptures, a lot seems paradoxical not only paradoxical from the point of view of that two-dimensional fixation. For the witness of this, there are no paradoxes, and thus dealing with language is much freer. Language is used in the koan studies to push our two-dimensional mind into a state where it ceases to be able to function. I wonder if we could say in the scientific endeavors that is probably the state or the point at which science arrives and can't go any further, where measurements fail, where abstraction fails, 
but where still the witnessing of this is beyond how, why, when, how big, how small. But just such. So let's be careful about science appropriating the human heart because that's what it is about. We don't need scientific reasons to be kind if there are scientific reasons to treat people equal and all of them. That would be a positive influence of science on the human society. The difficulties that we experience caused by these cataclysmic forces I spoke about in the opening can hardly be compared to the difficulties that we experience that are made by human beings themselves. Fixated ideas, mistreatment of each other. And unfortunately, we all witness this kind of self-centered power that exerts itself over others more than we have in the recent past. While in Zazen we sit down and bring together the 10,000 things to become one and to disappear into the absolute peace of heart and peace of mind of zero. When we return from there, then we as individuals have to get together in ten thousands, in hundreds of thousands, in millions, and together speak up. If mistreatment happens in our name as members of this society, acting locally as one individual is important. And sometimes coming together, transcending our individuality for society and for that what is common to all human beings is also necessary. May it be for the dignity of those who try to flee to this country. May it be for the sanctity of earth, the cleanness and healthiness of air and water, the existence of forests, of species that are endangered. We have to work together, putting our effort equally into that, coming together and transcending that limited self in a different way than we transcend it when we go into Zazen and the 10,000 things become what a master of old said. In the beginning, there is not a single thing. So meditation and zazen and spiritual practice is not just about that, but it is about the whole spectrum of the human heart. The clarification within, the witnessing of this, and the manifestation of the heart that springs from knowing that we all are equal. Let's never forget about that.